as I continue on this journey almost 13 years in, uh, it's still remarkable to me how many cats I still need to get to and how this journey will continue on forever. Uh, as a non-musician, I recognize that rhythm is love and specifically breaking up time and form. doesn't matter what genre it is. Uh, it allows for spiritual healing, spiritual discharge from the the brain and opening that chakra and uh, my guest has been doing it as a drummer prolifically from the time he was a young boy carried on to creating with really pretty much every master of uh, you could say spiritual jazz uh, in in our lexicon Henry Threadgill and Steve Lacey and uh, Max Roach and brother Philip Royster and the list goes on and on and on uh, I've been waiting a while to talk to him. John Betch, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Thank you very much. It's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful treat to be here. Yeah, completely. Uh, I, I uh, absolutely agree. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you about, just off the top, I think Gary Bartz told me in one of our interviews, or somebody did, that it used to drive... Max Roach crazy because a lot of cats, uh, producers specifically, didn't think drummers could be leaders of bands. Uh, even though the drummer is basically the driver of the train of the band, uh, there was sort of this, uh, you know, sort of uh, theory that uh, drummers couldn't compose, they couldn't arrange, and it drove people like Max crazy. And if you really look at it, I mean, there were Several cats that broke through that, uh, their charismatic powers were had a lot to do with that, but I just kind of wanted you to talk about that, um, that idea of a drummer being a band leader. I think that's basically um, from the idea that drummers aren't musicians, and I've been raised in Florida, where uh, the Florida a and University marching band, uh, among other things, was invited by France to represent the United States um, in their bicentennial parade. And the drum section of Florida a and University, uh, what can I say, touched my soul when I was, you know, very young. And um, the music of the drums has, has been a part of me all my life. And if you experience uh, the family marching mountains with uh, that drum section, it's just that's all there is to it. I was blessed to live down the street from Billy Moore, whose mother was the choir director for Stanton High School. And, and the, um, the level of musicality, let me say it that way, the level of musicality of the area that I grew up in. Uh, my mother was a church organist, my older sister was a gifted uh, soprano singer and Jens uh, and then we had an adopted sister and also uh, she didn't call her Southwall because she was left in the pianist and uh, vocalist in, in our mother's uh, church choir and the idea of drums being musical uh, is just stupid, you know, because I mean, the I mean, being here um, in Florida and having grown up with the sound of the ocean and the rhythm of the wind, okay, um, that's just a natural part of me, and uh, I've never understood why. People can't understand the musicality of the instruments. You know, I've, I've just never really understood that. Let me ask you, John, just because of your 
heritage and your family going back uh, through the diaspora from the motherland to the States, I just wonder if you think that, uh, I don't want to be overly simplistic, but we know that the drum was seen as a major threat to uh, the European, uh, uh, you know, people that settled, quote-unquote, settled here. And mm-hmm. and so, you know, the idea that the drums uh, were clearly a language, you know, you go back to Congo Square, um, it really freaked out a lot of, uh, you know, <laughs> cats that didn't understand, well, they, they recognized the power of the drum. And I wonder if that is, has more to do with the idea, especially I'm going back to, you know, you know, 60, 70, 80, 90 years ago, just the idea of saying we can't let those drums become too musical. We cannot highlight these cats because this is an enlightening, uh, whether it's calfskin heads or whatever you're playing, bongos, congas, I mean, it wakes people up. Exactly. And the, uh, <laughs> I was, excuse me, I was uh, reminded, uh, <laughs> most recently, of uh, the concept of uh, what music is, okay? Uh, there's, I'm, I'm living now in, in, the, in the retirement community, and there's a, a vocal group here. And uh, we had a, uh, you know, a presentation of it, and the director was disturbed that I brought us to it. And, uh, you know, we hadn't, oh, excuse me, this is lunch. Uh, we hadn't uh, rehearsed anything, and she was very disturbed that, uh, you know, while I was, yeah, with nice music. Yeah. And the whole idea of improvisation in music um, is just plain fine as people. And it's, it's sad because um, they don't even buy condoms or improvisers. You know? And uh, the. I see it partially financially, you know, when people can't write something down and cash in on it, they're disturbed. Right. And the idea of uh, improvising something is just a foreign idea to too many people. So, uh, unfortunately, I understand that concept. Yeah. Uh, what can I say? I fight it all the time. But that's just a part of our American life here. And I say our American life because having lived in Europe, you know, all these many years, I've seen how people relate to people bands music. And uh, it's just to coin a phrase, natural. I love it. And uh, it's just it's just really tragic really to come home and show in and find out that people are really retarded in terms of um, the nature of music, you know. And it's a, it's a it's a it's a Outlook on life, you know? It's an outlook on life where people have to be uh, nailed down into a formula instead of uh, going from the fever. You, you, just, you just encapsulated one of the major points of my show. It is in direct contrast, I mean, it's directly related to socioeconomic and political strife in this country is this idea that formula wins out over feeling every time. The cats who are actually touring in this country, no matter what genre of music, 
they're playing the same show every night. Those are the cats that are actually getting good good dough. The cats that are playing to the heavens, playing spiritual music and going for it are starving to death. And I know you know that, and you, you know that's. But that in this country, you want to look like this lean towards autocracy, this lean towards fascism, this lead towards groupthink, this lead towards conformity. It's all right there. It has everything to do with the with formula over feeling. Exactly. Couldn't put it better myself. Well, let me ask you. I mean, your mom is a pretty hip woman, and you know, I talked to a legendary guy, uh, David Batiste, who son Russell Batiste tragically passed away if, uh, about two months ago. Part, oh, I didn't know. Yeah, part of the Batiste family in New Orleans, and. Yeah. You know, he would wake up, he didn't live in downtown New Orleans, he lived outside, but he would wake up and he could look out his window and see this woman in the church playing uh, playing the organ, kicking pedals, you know, and, and I just wonder, your mom, was your mom ambivalent towards the blues or was she open to that kind of spiritual music? I mean, there are other cats that I talk to, um... Uh, who grew up, especially in, you know, people of color, they, they grew up in houses where the parents considered it, well, I just I was just hanging out with, uh, oh, of course, brother Philip Royster, and he's talking about Charles Stepney, and he said, his he, Charles was just like the filthiest bebop player ever, and he was amazing, and his parents wanted nothing to do with him because he was playing that devil's music of jazz. But can you talk about how, uh, your mom specifically, how open-minded she was, if she was, in relation to jazz and blues? Uh, unfortunately, when I think of my mother, I hear too often, no! I dig, I dig. That sounds pretty normal, actually, I'll be honest. Exactly. And, and you know, um, it had to do with her upbringing, in that uh, the improvisatory, is that a word? <laughs> Improvisatory, yeah, improvisatory, absolutely. Uh, aspect of music and life uh, was frowned upon, upon because uh, it scared people. Right. It just Was she coming from like more of a Mahalia Jackson, like spiritual kind of place? Where no, no, no. she was coming from her. Excuse me, her grandfather is to this day. Uh, there's a stained glass portrait of we call him Papa, a great grandfather, my great grandfather, and was in Mahalia in church. And so, you know, <laughs> it was almost like we had God in the family. 
you know, and don't mess around. You know, just don't mess around. And that was that was the way she was brought up. Right. You know, right. and uh, I tried, excuse me, tried to uh, force it on me, and uh, it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> so she so she was can you talk about even though she it was you were safe and she she took care of you and there was definitely love um like were you can you talk about like a seminal moment when John Betch like snuck out to uh, uh, on the Chitlin circuit where the floorboards were flying around and people were, I'm just curious about if it was considered uh, a no-no in your house. Uh, there just were that Chitlin circuit was very strong in Florida. In fact, I think he's a little bit older than you, but I do know down there at the time, and eventually him and Nat eventually taught there was Cannonball was down there. Um, and I just wonder uh, your first exposure to that that Southern Chitlin circuit, if that was in fact. Uh, the first time you were able to be like, yeah, this is, this is my home. This is, this is, this is, I found my, I found my people. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. The Alley brothers were, um, oh, God. Yeah, take your time. It's, they were our, I don't want to say idols, but they were, they were the ones that, uh, they went to FAMU, the 40 and University in, in town. Right. They were the ones who set the standard of, of, uh, of what to do. Now, I have to say, the right Reverend Ray, Charles, yes. uh, lived in Jacksonville. Wow. You know, wow. supported himself by writing arrangements. A blind man supported himself writing arrangements alone. And, <laughs> uh, you know, he was a down boy, you know. Right. And, uh, yeah, I could talk for three days about <laughs> yeah, I do. That's why I wanted to, I've been waiting to talk to you, man, because, dude, you, you got the whole perspective, plus you're coming from that. Yeah. To me, that the part of the, that part of the country too, you know. Yeah, yeah. This was this was our own. You know, Ray uh, lived here in Jacksonville. Uh, oh, on the station on the on the name of the town that he was actually born and raised up here. But yeah, this was this was this was home. This was home. Uh, the Adelaide's. Uh, I have to say Billy Moore, uh, hmm. who was our neighbor. Yeah. Uh, and was a uh, band director for both of us in junior and high school. Uh, when he left that job, uh, he went with Ray Charles. You know, and this was... I don't... Like that Chitlin Circuit uh, uh, phrase, uh, although it's very, very, very real. Yes. Um, what would you prefer? I mean, I, you know, I, I bastardized language. To me, it was just, it was a circuit where, uh, yeah. you know, musicians could actually, they, they were actually gigs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And um, there's... Well, there was, and, you know, everything, so I checked out. Um, <laughs> there was just a surfer, period. Right. It was just perfect. Sure, sure, where, sure. Yeah. Where uh, people work and, uh, and you couldn't get away from the season. You couldn't get away from that feeling because it was just everywhere. A natural part of life. And, uh... Yeah, that was it. That was just it. 
people uh, wound up their head and discomfort, period. Discomfort. And the thing is, oh, that ain't it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, Did you get a chance? You know, it's funny. I interviewed the, a couple times the late, great Charles Neville, and he, he was in a a band that went on a circuit, uh, Jack's Fiesta Club in Tampa. But, like, I mean, like, Earl Palmer was in some of these groups. Right. All the bebop players, as you right. know, I mean, Train, Cannon, uh, Sonny, uh, Alan Toussaint, they all walked the bar before they played bebop. I mean, you know, they were, they were you know, playing honk. They were honking. Did you, can you talk about like a seminal, did you ever catch any of those cats? Like, I mean, you were probably a little bit younger than them, but do, can you talk about a seminal moment of just, uh... Not, not only was I younger, but uh, my mother sent me to school in Connecticut uh, to, be, uh, to be an Episcopal priest. Whoa. And, I mean, and, and, <laughs> Whoa. More squeaky than that. You know, wow. and uh, you know, I'm. <coughs> I couldn't even bring some records into the house. You know, wow. oh, give, 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 you know. I uh, cannot believe dude, that is insane. That yeah. is, what 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 records like Sun Ra records? <laughs> what which ones were Sun Ra? That was <laughs> way before, not way before, but before. Uh, My mother and I made peace when she could, you know, relate to and Donnerhead, Bobberhead with, with Ray Charles. Right. But uh, Billy Holiday was, excuse me, was a bit much. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I dig. I dig. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, uh, Ray was at the church and Mama played church in the organ. Right. They had the church organ, but. Uh, Billy Holiday was a good That was a good But uh, it was just a, the ear is just a feeling, period. It's just a feeling that you can't get around. That's, that's what that was. And that's hopefully what that will be forever. Um, and this whole. Uh, Other feeling of, of what music is about, I just don't get into it, you know. And uh, I'm sorry, I just don't. Really I, 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 it's, it's. You're making my day. I, I, I mean, um, when you got to Connecticut, uh. Did you wind up? I remember. I mean, were you? What was the biggest near? What was the nearest biggest city to you? Okay, the school. Excuse me. Is in Danbury. Right. Now that's a very interesting phenomenon. In that, are you aware of Charles Ives? Uh, I V E S Charles Ives. Of course. Yeah. He was from Danbury. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. He was from Danbury. His father played trumpet. In, now, in, you know, in New England, there are marching town bands. Right. You know, for, for you know, parades and stuff. And Charles's father played trumpet in one of these bands, you know. Little Charles would be standing on the sidewalk, you know, and the band would go back and we'd play that song. And right behind him would be another song. We'd have another uh, band. And Little Charles standing on the sidewalk heard these two different bands playing two different keys. And he said, Yeah. <laughs> like that. <laughs> The only reason he wasn't put out of the Yale Music School for writing 
what we now call polytonality, you know, yeah, right. two and three different keys, was because he was the star baseball pitcher. Dude, you're blowing, my, you're blowing me away right now. <laughs> it blows me away when I think of that, you know? He, wow. He, you know? They couldn't, they couldn't afford to lose him. He was throwing a split-finger fastball. They couldn't afford to lose him, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Now, the really phenomenal thing, uh, he got out of Yale, excuse me, Yale Music School, and he said, if I'm going to deal with this music, yeah, I need to get him a job. So he became an insurance man. Uh, my great-grandfather, my uh, mother's grandfather, was A.L. Lewis, who was an insurance man, the first black millionaire in the state of Florida. And, uh, you know, I mean, insurance was it, you know. And uh, Charles became a millionaire uh, with the insurance business. Wow. Holy yeah. cow. Yeah, now what's really, what's really hysterical to me, he married a woman who was the town's sweetheart. She was the preacher's daughter and the town beauty. Everybody was in love with her. And she went for the guy with the weird music who just happened to be a millionaire. <laughs> and her name, ready? Yep. Was Harmony. Perfect. Right. Yeah. So yeah, um, it just it just made perfect sense to me, you know, that we would marry a woman named Harmony and be writing uh, polytonality before you know it was uh, taught in in conservatories, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, that was that was the history of that evolution of music, you know. And it just cracked me up that we was from Danbury. Um, and uh, I'm sorry. So you you were like like would you say that you were going? Were you, were you was there still that a, a thriving club scene in New Haven? Did, or were you were you hip to that? I mean, I'm just curious about. Going there probably, you probably went there, what, about 64, 65? I graduated high school in 63. Right. Uh, uh, I uh, didn't become aware of that scene until I left there. Because I was supposed to be uh, concentrating on... uh, Right, right. That was really my point. Is like, yeah. is like how you, I mean, you weren't supposed to be aware of it yet. It was the only thing that mattered. Your the feeling was what counts. Exactly. Is there? A, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Wasn't that uh, lack of a better phrase? Funky. Wasn't that funky? You had to 
the concept of um, and that uh, you know uh, so was from that wow <laughs> I don't think I knew that you know yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah that was that was that yeah you know that was that and uh, but uh, yeah it's been so commercialized. Well, I, we're not going to go to the dark side right now. <laughs> the, <laughs> no, I, you know, I, what I want to say, so, so it was there, this is just important for younger cats who are going to hear this today, tomorrow, 50 years from now. It's just, when did you just, like, in terms of being beholden to priesthood, when did you... Um, can you talk about when you maybe an opportunity came along to play music that you that you knew was the right kind of music, and you basically said to your mom, "I'm I'm not going to continue down this road." Yes, yes, yes. Can you, can, John? Can you talk into the phone a little bit closer? I, I don't want to miss what you're saying. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you repeat that? I, what did you, I heard Coltrane. Yeah. I think. I wrote a letter to my mother. Yes. And I said, I'm sorry. But there's another J.C. <laughs> in my life. And his name is John Coltrane. Holy cow, dude. He looks like us. You know? Wow. And uh, she, of course, well, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I'm sure she was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. She liked to call it foolishness. Foolish, <laughs> foolishness, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah. That was that. And uh, she sent me a fist where uh, my beloved sister Janetta, uh, she and uh, Dr. Martin Luther King both went to college at 15, went to, at, went to college at age 15. They had both uh, was accepted for Fisk uh, at age 15. And our father passed and you know mother sent her to to Oberlin in Ohio where excuse me, where our older sister was right. and uh, that was that but uh, yeah um, oh man so many images <laughs> so, 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 so she was like stop the foolishness and you're like no actually this JC is my compass and yeah. and then she then at that point she moved you to Fisk. Uh, actually, after after that, uh, right? Because that was, it was my senior year in high school that I that I really wrote that letter. Wow. And, uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, you know, um, she did her best to discourage me. <laughs> <laughs> No, seriously. No, I dig. I dig, man. I'm sorry. Uh, I can't <laughs> comfortably say my sister enjoyed that all uh, because dad had gone to bougie. You know, so she's boo to me. But we went to visit in Chicago where she was a graduate student at Northwestern. And we went to the Southern Lounge wow. to see Nick uh, Roach. Wow. And, uh, you know, Gene Ammons, local hero. Legend. First, he was the first band. And after Gene said, Mama said, okay, that's it. We just got to go to school in the morning. Let's go. <laughs> you know, I had to die. But, you know, Mama can lay down the road. 
And uh, it's really strange sometimes um, the way fate works. Um, to Northwestern. And ended up teaching at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst on the same faculty as Max Roach and Archie Shep. You know? Hold on a second. Your your sister your sister was at grad school in Northwest? Yeah. She and then she wind up winds up. Your mom says, you see Jug, you see Max, or first set. You didn't see that. You didn't even see it. You didn't, he was the headliner, and she was like, we're out of here. Yeah. So, so you guys leave, and then within a year or two, your sister's on, or is this later on? Like, when did she okay, actually? Okay. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, yeah, two, 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 two years ago. I cannot believe I couldn't believe it either. That she's she on staff with thing. Shep and Roach. Oh. <laughs> this is unreal. Yeah. That's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah, it was it was really a phenomenal uh, wow. thing there. Yeah. So what you so so you get so the Sutherland Lounge, your, your mom yanks you out of there. Yeah. Um and then like so I'm still trying to get at this. Like, did you actually feel like, I mean, because this would, my, I didn't grow up in a house like yours at all, not even close, but it's like there'd be a lot of angst because you love your mom, you respect your mom, and yet you're like, am I going to be miserable the rest of my life doing what my mom wants me to do or what I really want to do? And, like, I'm just curious about, Maybe the better question is, what was your first professional, how quickly after that Sutherland Lounge thing was, was your first professional gig? Oh, 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 that was, that was when I was still in high school. Okay. So you were, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm playing the devil. I'm talking about playing, like getting connected. Did you go to UMass Amherst to visit your sister? And that's the first time you met Max. I'm curious about like. This this slow progression towards, you know, your purpose in life. Um, my purpose in life was uh, clear to me uh, when I was in uh, elementary school. Right. You know, when I first uh, got the message from Right Reverend Ray, and uh, yeah. Uh, UMass was a phenomenal. <coughs> excuse me. It was a phenomenal uh, atmosphere at that time. Um, you know, black studies was just really taking off, and UMass. I mean, this is you know the new boys territory, and uh, it was. And hopefully, hopefully, still has a. a Found, found. Um, uh, area of culture of African American culture, and um, yeah, I mean, Max Roach was also on the faculty. Uh, oh, the faculty was bright. It was just so, so, so beautiful. Nelson Stevens, the painter, a piece on that bass drum. That whole historical area is so profound. And um, yeah, luckily, it's not that far from New York. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, so we could uh, make little runs and. Uh, yeah, it was, it was. So you, so I just want to be clear. Uh, you went to Chicago. You were at the time you were at Fisk. You went to Chicago to visit your sister. No, 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 no. no. I, was, I was still in high school when we went to Chicago. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. This was 
Oh God. Uh, 61, 60, 61. And, um, um, excuse me. Yeah, Chicago, no, that's, that's a whole other issue. Chicago is a whole other issue. And when I eventually, uh, found myself in the New York, uh, musical scene. Yeah. It was around, it was at the same time that a lot of the ACM people were coming to New York from Chicago. So, yeah, that was... You're uh, talking about, like, uh, Famadou, Don Moy, and Joseph Jarman and those cats? Exactly. Wow. Calafrusia. Calafrusia. Uh, yeah. We were all, uh, we were all there on the lower east side together. Yeah. Wait, did you so 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 were you hip to that community center known as the East? Oh man, please. Please yeah. break dude, to me that was like I mean they were handing out they were trying to cook they were trying to give out healthy food, diapers for families, but then I remember Famadou in our interview he talked about like they'd be playing that arts ensemble in Chicago be playing there. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal period. Um, I've joked with a, with a friend that there was a place called uh, the Tim Palace. Oh, yeah. You know, and the Tim Palace was sort of like 52nd Street. <laughs> no, I know, like, Pharaoh would play there with Tasiji Munoz and stuff. It was a crazy place. Say that again. Like I know the Tin Palace because it was so Fifty Second Street because you know like Pharaoh Sanders would play there with Tasiji Munoz. You know, it's incredible, very free. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a phenomenal period. Um, well, the Lower East Side was first of all where, <laughs> where half of us lived. You know, everybody lived. Like, You're talking. I just want to get a date on this. You're talking like. 69, 68? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, boy. It was incredible. I moved 10th Street between, I used to call it crazy and death. Between <laughs> I could walk from my loft on 10th Street and just go straight across past... Oh, God, I'm sorry. The, uh, the 10th Hours. Um, Sam Rivers' studio review was up the street. That's right. Uh, Uma Sultan had a place, I think. Oh, God. Like Juma Studio Sultan. A or something? I, I don't know. Oh, Juma Sultan. Uh, Juma, yeah. Oh, boy, Juma's... Uh, well, first of all, you have to understand, Juma was in the original uh, Jimi Hendrix band of Timson. Absolutely. I, I interviewed him. He, unbelievable cat, man. Unbelievable cat, man. Yeah. It was so... is so... Oh, God. Um, and we hooked up with California, uh, you know, a member of the Chicago the ACM crowd. And, uh, yeah, uh, um, Thank you, sir. And you want to do the Berlin Festival? <laughs> wow! Yeah. And, wow! Uh, look, it was that 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 whole area. Yeah, that, well, well, yeah, physical area, the Lower East Side, but that whole spiritual area was very, very, very profound. And, uh, Can you go a little bit deeper about the spirit, especially with the East, how they were trying to educate, and ultimately how the music played a role in 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 the levels of consciousness within that community? I wish I had spent more time at these and could really right, say, uh, right. That's all right. Specifically, but yeah. Um, 
there was the East Studio Livy uh, <laughs> I'm going west no I'm not I'm going east <laughs> because it was it was all downtown you know on the on the what they call the Lower East Side and uh, yeah it was it was all you could you could walk a straight line almost you know from from where I live and just go west and it was amazing it was <clears throat> okay the Ten Pounds Studio Rifkin, uh, which was Sam Rivers' place. Uh, oh, I'm gonna. Re- I want to. Re- I want to read this to you. This is from my interview with 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 you with Juma. He said. Uh-huh. He said after Jimmy died, I was living on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. We had a place called Studio We where I worked with the Community Music Project. We used to rehearse and have school and produce concerts. We tried to fit in music any way we could. On Fridays, we would have concerts on the sixth floor. That's where I got to know Archie Shep. He was looking for other rhythms, so he hired me to play on Attica Blues. Pretty deep. I mean, so, I mean, you're telling me that would some, was the half note still there? Because, I mean, clearly, uh, you know, like, <clears throat> I mean, it was still a perkle. I mean, Max was putting out seminal albums with Stanley Cowell and Gary Bartz at that time. He had uh, the M Boom Project. The per- there were a lot of cats that were living on the Lower West Side as well, like yeah. Warren Smith and, yeah. you know, uh, all these amazing percussionists. Uh were you going to gym? I mean, I, I just know cats that would show up at like Clifford. Uh, was it Clifford Jarvis or Clifford? Jarvis. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, he, there'd be like jam sessions going on. It, it just it doesn't seem real. It actually yeah. doesn't seem real. Yeah, yeah. You know, I look back on it and it's just it's phenomenal. You know, Clifford Jarvis. Yeah. By the way, I'm so glad you mentioned him. Dude, unbelievable cat. Yeah. Was Tony Williams's. First cousin. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. And, and, and that blew me away when I when I found that out too. And um, <laughs> you know, I mean, Alan Dawson had to say, "Yeah, Tony was my star, but Clifford Jarvis, his cousin, was terrifying." Whoa. And Whoa. Clifford was terrifying. Uh, Yeah. So, so, I mean, he was just a monster player. I mean, just, just yeah, because yeah, I mean, well, no, because I'm curious. It does say in your bio that you you had a cup of coffee or at least spent some time at Berkeley. Uh, and at the time, right in that 70, 71 era, I just remember Mike Knock, the piano player who also lived down in the Lower East Side. He was at Berkeley with Sam Rivers and and I believe Tony Williams. I, I think if I'm remembering that correctly. Were you well, excuse me. I miss Tony uh in that part of town and that, that area of time. But yeah, Tony had had already lived and, and, and gone with miles actually. Right, 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 right. But yeah, that whole era that whole era was just Oh man, it was just so 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 beautiful. Was Beaver Harris have a workshop down there? A physical workshop. I, I mean, I, I don't even know. I mean, it just it doesn't it doesn't seem possible that this much talent uh, was was all in the, in this one area. That's right. It doesn't seem possible, but it really was that deep, and it was incredible. I mean, you know, you'd just be walking down the street and hoping to be her, Sam Rivers. You know, I mean, Sam Studio Rivby. 
Studio, I'm looking at it right here, dude. And also another place called Ladies Fort. Oh, God, yes, the Ladies Fort. Yeah, that Schofield used to go there, dude. He was checking out all the cats, trying to play free, you know? Who? John Schofield. Oh, we did, everybody. Yeah. Everybody. That, that era and that area were just phenomenal. Can you, you know, just put your poetry hat on for a minute, going back to this idea of painting on the on the kit and 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 playing melodically and um but for younger generations like or just younger cats i mean you know everyone was living on brown rice you know the cost of living you could it, it's ridiculous to think that yeah. that that a loft cost 160 bucks a month or something i mean it was insane thank, thank you <clears throat> so i mean some of that stuff is i just to me you know, I just wanted you to talk about the spirit of that community and and what it meant to you. And ultimately, even with the cost of living today, which is outrageous, and even with sort of this... Because I, I mean, I don't want to get too off on a tangent, but it's like, I mean, at the time, you talk about black studies and, 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 and poetry and social justice, none of it was pretty, but it was thriving in the late 60s and early 70s. Today, it's very disparate, it's separated, um, and, you know, there's just not a, a a roster of leaders that is necessary to lead the movement. It's, it's just very stratified and spread out. You guys were all sort of in that community, and I just wanted you to talk about how how the music grew, how your hearts grew, how you grew as a leader just being in that environment. And if we can somehow, not return, but grow. I mean, I don't believe, I'm sorry to say this because I know a lot of of my elders, you know, I'm 45, but a lot of my elders are in the academy teaching, getting a paycheck, but I just don't see, you can't compare Studio Rigby or the East or whatever, you're not going to grow music in the in the academy. You're just not going to do it. That's the way I feel. There is now a uh, an academy. <laughs> right. You know, there's um, there are musical departments in universities right where um, before uh, it was just folks living <laughs> their lives right they were living the music exactly yeah I love it living the music they weren't and getting graded on stuff exactly exactly weren't getting graded it was just <laughs> the way things were. Yeah. You know, we just were trying to define ourselves through this spirit. And I have to say spirit because it was uh, individual ours. It was in the dance, and uh, it was just a spirit that uh, was undeniable, and it was uh, very, very strong, and uh, there were, uh, I was blessed to be called by Henry and to be associated excuse me associated with him it was very strange to uh, be in that part of town with air because Steve McCall oh, and I geez. both played Black Rogers drums <laughs> Steve McCall, dude. Holy cow. 
it, I would look at him and it was like he was left-handed, you know? Right. So I would look at him and it was like I was looking in the mirror. Because <laughs> <laughs> he'd be with, yeah, I dig, I dig. with Fred Hawkins, you know? And uh, Henry, and it was just phenomenal. And uh, yeah, the um, spirit of Studio Ruthie, the Tin Palace, uh, Studio Me. It was just a family. You know, we were just a big family, man, and we all loved each other and supported each other, and it was just unbelievable. Did you did you know, uh, I'm just reading, did you ever get a chance to play with the late, great Junie Booth? Because he he's talking about JC Mo JC Moses was another mentor down there. Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't uh, I didn't get to spend as much time with JC Moses, but with Junie Booth, my God, yeah, yeah. Uh, so. This is really important. This is actually like a theory based question, and you know, you can riff on it any way you want. But when you're playing with Steve McCall, and you're playing like to the heavens, uh, that's the other part of, like, spiritual music is, like, you know, when you have the rudiments in place, you know what the feeling is, and then you drop the bar lines, you know, like, it just becomes one just, just complete palette of sound. That, to me, is the magic of that time, because... How did you guys get into that zone? Would you open gigs with just fifteen minutes of of percussion? To me, like that's the the those are the things that you hear stories about. I mean, you know, cats that went to the half note in San Francisco to see Coltrane's quartet on a on a sat on a Sunday afternoon, and Elvin's not there, so they're he he was late to the gig, so they're playing ballads. I guess it was like maybe Reggie Workman and I forget who, uh, McCoy and whatever. And, and then Elvin just shows up and just <laughs> starts to lose his mind on the drums. And then pretty soon uh, the piano and bass leave and it's just him and Train going at it for like 25 minutes. And uh, I just wondered, I wondered about that, those sheets of sound, because that's really what the the spirit and the vibe is what you're talking about is, it's it's how you da- it's how you dance how you walk, and everything was sheets of sound. Everything, everything was sheets of sound. Part of it had to do with just homage to Coltrane. He passed in '67, and there was a long line of cats there. But so many other people were still there and just yeah. doing it. And yeah. how do you get to that level? How did you guys get? Did you set the table to play that kind of? Music of sheets of sound. Work hard, <laughs> but but I but it wasn't like necessarily intellectual work. It wasn't like it wasn't like facility or chops or look at me, look at me. It was some kind of spirit work. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Reggie Workman was the first bassist, uh, first of all, with excuse me, with the coaching quartet and. Uh, wow. Reggie was uh, part of the UMass uh, congregation also, so I got to spend a little time with him, and we did some amazing things with, uh, uh, excuse me, with Mal Waldron. Oh, my Uh, God. Is any of this on record or tape? Yeah. Um, There was a... uh, Producer for Inja Records, E-N-J-A. I got it, yeah, baby. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Horst Weber. And uh, Horst, uh, well, now, (laughs) 
I used to joke with Mao, you know, uh, and, and say, you know, people say that you live in Munich, but you really live on the train. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, man. Mao Waldron was the businessman in show business. He, he, was, he was just he was just road dogging everywhere. He was tra he was tour yeah. 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 And his aura, his musical aura was so wide and so open that he fit with everybody. Right. Oh you know. And it was it was really wonderful. I was blessed to be on several things with him that just were phenomenal. Um I put it together with Jim Pepper. We're not. Was, we're gonna have to listen, man. We're gonna have to. We haven't even gotten. We're gonna have to do. Can we do set two in a couple <laughs> days? I mean, because we just scrap. We just burned through sixty-one minutes, and we just scratched the surface. Yeah, yeah. This was heavy. Is that cool? I'll. I'll uh, yeah. All right. I'll. Uh, yeah. I'll circle back later this week, and we'll. Uh, we'll get. We'll sneak in a, another set here. But that, John, it. I know I was going way back in the in the in the lineage here, but I just, you know, you were you were just one of those examples of somebody within the lineage who was touched by the masters, and you've give you shared that knowledge. You have more to share, and you know my hope is that cats will become inspired to be themselves just by hearing some of this stuff. So it was just a great honor to finally connect with you. Thank you, man, and that's a that's a very good place. To quit right there with Jim Pepper, and Mal. Jim Pepper, dude, and Mal. I mean that you yeah. you know that's it, man. That's the Grail right yeah. there. Yeah. All right, my man. I'll call you in a couple of days. Beautiful. Thank you. Take very, care, sir. Very much. All right. Bye. See ya. Bye.